Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I join forces to talk about the details of the latest case of comic industry harassment, as well as uh, lighter topics such as alleged apps, Sandman Overture, Avengers Rage of Ultron, Time Runs Out and the Road to Rebooting, Floppies versus Digitals versus Trades versus Me, and of course, much, much more. Show notes are available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. That's me. <laughs> okay, good. I was actually, because I, I was, that, I worried that I might have. Yeah, 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 Graham yeah. McMillan? Yeah, really? Because I, yeah, I, I actually, you're right next to the button for like cute.bree, which um, is uh, someone who I received a friend <laughs> request right, from. What? Yeah, you know. So I, I no, figured no, there's. See, what's that name again? Say oh, that name again. Cute.bree. Uh, you know, it's just a friend request that I received on Skype. I get those, and um, they don't, don't really it's ring a bell, but I. I figure I know the person. Yeah, I figure chances are good. Exactly. So who doesn't know someone called Cute Bree? Exactly, right? So... They're doing that thing when they put their last name first. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. We we just became friends relatively recently, right? Right around the time that my bank account sort of started acting funny. So I don't... I don't, I don't know what's going on. But, uh, yeah. I, it, it's it was so weird that cute dot Bree just appeared in your life at that point. Yeah, you know, I was kind of like, well, okay, I don't really. This name doesn't ring a bell, but I'm sure I know this person, and I friended them, and uh, yeah, that was just around the same time things started going a little screwy. Uh, but who knows? Maybe it's that Patreon uh, security compromise leak. You know, so many options. Which I saw this one. Great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It really great. Good news for everyone. For everyone who has not heard about this, because it's surprisingly not been publicized that much. Yeah. Um, Patreon had a, uh, well, they had what seems to be a security breach, but according to them, like, is a really minor security breach that didn't get anything. That, that's what they, they say, they, right. They're now sort of basically like, yeah, someone tried to get into our systems, but they couldn't get into all the good stuff. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, there you go. Yeah. That was that was a thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was one of those great and of course like in true like oh I should really pay attention to this fashion. I haven't done anything yet, so um whatnots uh well, all I have to do is to change the password. Yes. Which 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 I haven't done. And yet. I, I was uh I was waiting to talk to you basically. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, we should change the password and then decide what the password is. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that maybe that's a thing that we will talk about uh off, off, off air, I guess. Off mic. Off air, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, also, either during this podcast or it will be edited in, everyone who we really should have said the name of a long time ago uh, will hear their name on the show. Sometimes, again, some of these people were thanked. I, I, you make it sound like we <laughs> never thanked That's them. That's true. Some of these people have been thanked. But um, <laughs> everyone everyone is due a new thank. Let's put it that way. And I have totally fallen down on the job. Um, so at some point, I will be thanking those people. Hello, one. That's the fact that I am slightly echoier than normal means that I'm not actually recording this on Skype. Instead, I'm just recording this normally on a little headset and 
shebang. I'm doing this so that I can properly thank the many, many, many kind people who have uh, donated to the Patreon uh, throughout the the time that it has been running. It, we are horrifically overdue in naming people on the show. And so I am doing this so that people can finally get their due. I apologize in advance because this is going to be a long list of names. But let's go. Thank you to Paul Russell, Al Ewing, Chris Jerzombrek. Possibly ruined your name there, Chris. I'm sorry. Heath Edwards, Steve Huang, uh, Jason Hopkins, Ryan Fitzgerald, Sean McTiernan, Chris, uh, Charles Forsman, even Daniel Mackay, Max Brown, Roger Winston, Doug Alton, Jesse Morgan, Stephen Prince, Justin Harmon, Alden Barosa, Carla Hoffman, Adam Polakoff, Matt Terrell, Dominic Soria, John Copeland, Patrick Gaffney, Rick Vance, Mark Bender, Matt Diggs, Matthew Johnson, Cash Sherman, Matt Miller, Chris Beckett, Adam P. Nave, Terence Stassa, Neil Caput, Lawrence Cruz, Carlos Aguilar, Paul Holmes, David Brown, Roy Rogers, Timothy Rivenberg, Mission Comics and Arts, Scott Ashworth, Stephen Williamson, Jeffrey Lang, John Kipling, Martin Gray, Robert Drex, uh, Dan Billings, Dan Turner, for Thomas, Derek Moreland, Chris Carfora, Kevin Moreau, J.D. Smith, Chris Peterson, Chris Tanferin, Andrew Bear, and American Ninth Art Studios. I told you that was a lot of names. Thank you to everyone who has been uh, supporting us through Patreon. It is greatly, greatly appreciated, even though it took us this long to thank you by name on the show. Thank you. Yes. Uh, as I said, it may be actually while Jeff and I are having a conversation, or if, and it's not unlikely, we run out of time or I forget. I've already recorded it. What? You should have seen your email this morning, Jeff. No, 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 no. Uh, I did see I, it. I, your time, your temporal sense threw me off. I'm like, huh? I thought you already recorded it. As I just said, I've already recorded it. <laughs> what? What? I've already recorded it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know how first off, I'm not sure if we're exactly I if we're having troubles with the internet, but I feel like we're a little out of sync and talking over each other. So that's half of it. The other half is idiocy on my part. Don't worry. When it came to you saying you've already recorded it, there was something about the way that you phrased it, I think for the whatnots, that of course totally confused me as well. I'm like, huh? Graham, what are you talking <laughs> Um We we might be out of sync. Yesterday uh I was doing something that I guess hasn't been announced yet, so never mind. But I was, for some reason, on Skype with some other people, mm. um, and there was a delay. On like there was a noticeable delay, so we might be out of sync somewhat. Okay, okay. Well, I'll keep that. It seems like sometimes we at least learn to fall into sync. So we'll see. If there's still a problem, maybe we'll. Um... We'll have you reboot your internet and uh, and. Uh, you're you're actually out. Of, you're in sync with me. Like you sound fine to me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's good. Then maybe we're just maybe I'm just rude and talking over you, which Lord well, knows has been known to happen. Exactly. That that's that's impossible. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Graham. Uh, have you read new comics this week, or like me, have you just been reading old comics? I've been reading mostly. Old comics. There's a few very, very shockingly few comics that I read that I think might qualify as quote-unquote new. So, uh, What have you been reading old-wise? Old-wise? Uh, I, I read the last two issues of Batman, issue 43 and 44. Um, I read 
the last three issues of The Walking Dead, uh, only one of which was a reread because I couldn't remember what had happened. Um, an issue of Minimum Wage, uh, an issue of Outcast, the first issue of Dave 2, which m- might have come out this week or last week, I'm not sure. The super special um, $30 edition of Scooby-Doo Team-Up. Uh, which, because I'm like one of the few people at Comics Experience that actually has a sub copy be pulled for me, um, I was able to hang out today and, and, and read that. Nameless Lose Number Seven by Michael DeForge, From Under Mountains Number One, Ghost Riders Number Four, and Issues 16 and 17 of Demon by the ever awesome Jason Shiga. Uh, 16 of which was a reread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, some of those sound relatively new. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But honestly, without my receipt nearby, because I hadn't been in um, my comic book store in like two or three weeks, a lot of it was sort of a like I it would be. It hard was waiting there, me. and you didn't know how new it was. Yeah, exactly. Um, so tell. Well, the thing that really caught my attention there was what is this thirty dollar edition of Scooby Doo? Oh, you uh, okay? So what happened was there was an issue of Scooby Doo Team Up number twelve that came out, I think, honestly, last week. The hard copy came out. And it's Scooby-Doo teaming up with, quote-unquote, the Gotham Girls, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. And oh, Did I you see. read about this, or is this... Yeah, now, now it's a big deal, because it's the lowest print run of a Harley Quinn comic. Is that the thing? Yeah, I think that's it. Like, nobody knew it was coming. It was printed at, at a super low number of copies. Uh, and so speculators hit it like a storm. So, uh, like I said, part of me was like, I, I'm like, I think that's on my pull list, so I don't have to really worry about that. And, of course, good old comics experience. They did a great job trying to make sure that idle speculators couldn't come in and buy it anyway. But I did have my, my copy pulled. And I have to say, I'm really looking forward to giving this comic that I could probably sell for ten times its price to my uh, five-year-old niece because she will love it. Spoilers! Not only uh, are Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, um, they contact the Scooby gang because they believe they're being haunted by a ghost of a gem that they've stolen. Um, But there's also special guest appearances by pretty much just about everyone that my niece adores uh, in her comic books. So I, I think it's going to be a big success. I was actually going to ask, are you excited now that Superhero Girls is, is out, is launched? Are you excited about it? I, I, you know, I just saw that. I've been, I've been somewhat, because I've been doing various things today that seem to involve not going on into the comics portion of the internet or even really Twitter. Uh, I just found out about that a few minutes ago. I'm very excited to sort of see that first, uh, animated short. And see if it's, it's... it is super short. I mm-hmm. warn you, mm-hmm. it's like a minute and a half. A minute and a half. Ooh, that's... Yes. Ugh. All right. Well, it's anyway. basically yes. an introduction. Mm-hmm. Jeff. It, I mean, it's literally like, a, hey, here, here is some people standing around going, "Welcome to Superhero High," which is the setting of the the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, DC are super high on it. Like the, there, there's a. You guys should really pay attention, and they're doing a shit ton at New York Comic Con for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, New York Comic Con, Graham, I don't know if you're aware of this, is coming up. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's nice weekend, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of shocked. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And actually, Ape, the Alternative Press Expo, is this weekend. Wait, are you doing that very smart Doctor Whovian thing where you're shifting your stuff forward so that by the time people hear it, they know that yes. it's okay? Yes. Well, uh, yes and no. Also, for me, next weekend is not – we record this on a Thursday, listeners. It's not two days from now. It's the following weekend because two days from now is this weekend. Yes. I, I wasn't sure. Some people are a little blasé about that yeah, sort know, of that, thing. That actually – that drives Kate mad because she's like, no, it's next. Yeah. <laughs> next weekend. Um, but I am talking about the – I want to say New York Comic Con is October 8th through 11th. Right. And by the time people hear this – Ape uh, 2015 will have already passed because it's uh, October, uh, what, 3rd and 4th, I guess? 3rd and 4th. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, and it's that, where is that nowadays? Is that San Jose? That is. It is. It's, it is. It, I want to say it's its first year in San Jose, but I should say really it's its first year back in San Jose. Uh, for those of you who who have not necessarily tracked Ape that closely, it was originally started by Dan Vado of Slave Labor Gla- Graphics. Wow, I cannot believe I screwed that up like three different ways. Um, and he ended up uh, it it ended up being acquired by San Diego Comic Con, who ran it for a few years. I suspect is an in into the Bay Area. Um, comic convention crowd until they could purchase WonderCon, although maybe my timing's wrong on that. And then they, they clearly were like, we don't want to be in the Bay Area. Let's move WonderCon to Anaheim. Yes. And then not long after that, um, Vado was able to, he got, he got Ape back and then proceeded to move it to San Diego, which, uh, San Diego, San Diego, San Jose, that'd be hilarious. Um, and a, a lot of people, uh, Basically, were frustrated that they were going to have to go all the way down to San Jose to um, to be able to sell and buy their their self drawn comics and gigas and what have it, you. It, it was an interesting choice, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest. You'd think San Francisco it is genuinely a better location for it. Well, so the, the, there's two Again, things. Maybe here. Not. Whatever the rents are these days, maybe yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I've always been aware of is San Francisco is a total bear. Like we get a lot of uh, conventions coming through here, uh, and so there's a tremendous amount of competition for the space. Even just throwing a comic book convention at a hotel, a simple hotel in San Francisco, as opposed to a convention center, uh, can run in the high thousands. So, uh, it's, it's, it seemed to me that Vado, once he, once he got the con, he of course is down in San Jose, so it's easier for him to host things and, you know, draw attention, I think, to the slave labor store and I think gallery down there. And, um, and it, Far less expensive, but a lot of people, I mean, it really did stir a lot of action to people basically saying, you know, this is ridiculous. San Francisco has to have a show. Um, and that sort of started up, I, I think I, you know, the comics festival, I think that just recently happened that you and I discussed a, a few episodes back. And there's, uh, there's some sort of, uh, San Francisco comic convention, I think is the, we saw an, there was an ad for it. Um, that seems a little uh, short on the uh, info, basically. There's like a website. <laughs> it's happening. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
So people are a little worried that I think they're worried that it might be a Wizard World show, in fact, too. But I don't oh, know if that's wow. really true. Um, hold on. Wizard World San Francisco sounds depressing. What's that? Wizard World San Francisco sounds depressing. Doesn't it? It really sounds terrible. So I can't find this site. If people want to go to the show notes, I'll make it a point to to throw it in there. I want to say that it might have been um, – on Seth Rosenblatt's Facebook feed that he posted the link to it. So, uh, yeah, we'll really, we'll see what happens. San Francisco needs a show. I mean, if nothing else, there's just plenty of, of cosplayers who would be excited. Ape, I think the thing that's frustrating is a lot of people who showed, exhibited at Ape and went to Ape were people for whom, um, you know, taking the train down to San Jose, like they may not have, you know what I mean? They're just, they're living the yeah, kind of yeah. hard scrabble ex- existence that, um, that, you know, that self-employed cartoonists or even cartoonists on the side sometimes can expect. So, um, it, it but, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 is actually an effort financially and in terms of time Yes, to, to take everything down there that it, that I can totally see that it's just like, I, I, Literally can't afford it mm-hmm. in either way. Yeah. So, Jeff. Yes. Uh, I am actually going to call you back because you're cutting out like really oddly. Either you're speaking very strangely this time or you're cutting out because it feels honestly like you're cutting out at the end and beginning of every word. Huh. That does not sound good. I, chances are good. I'm probably yeah. recording fine. But um, but yeah, why yeah. don't you let, why don't you call me, me back? Uh, hang up. Restart my computer and everything okay. and then give you a call back in like a minute okay that sounds fabulous hello graham hello jeff you sound much better now oh you sound much better too yeah definitely okay well i yeah, think I, that was I, a good choice god god knows what happened but yeah you started sounding like genuinely very strange so hmm. it may have been a there, there was a program in the background that appeared to be uploading something that i wasn't aware of again i blame my friend cute brie who uh, told me that she wants to share uh, desktop images with one another. So I kind of allowed access for that. And uh, I don't know, you know, uh, Jeff, yeah. here's the thing. I know you're joking, but I also know that at some point you've probably done something as, as misguided as that. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Graham. Uh, I don't think I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, the thing that's sad about being an old fart is, as I get older, I definitely get more gullible. Um, you know, so it's, I, I figure it's only about 10 years before, you know, a Nigerian prince or some. Well, it, it's, it's not just more gullible. I think, and, and I'm speaking for myself here, it's, there's also a point where you genuinely do just stop paying attention to like what things that are new and are happening. Mm-hmm. And so someone will mention some new technology and they will be making it up. And you have that moment of like, is that real? Right, right. So yeah. I can't even remember who did that to me recently, but someone essentially made up uh, uh, a new technology. And I was like, oh, that sounds weird. And they were like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, idiot. yeah, that totally but, happened to me last week too. I get the, the flip side of that is like the people thing. Mm-hmm. I just refuse to believe that was real. Oh, I, was I know. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm still kind of confused, like convinced that it's probably some sort of prank. For people who don't know what we're talking about, I'm talking about people P E P P E E P L E, which is Yelp for humans, yes. which allows you to rate the people you come into contact with 
on multiple levels, apparently. And it's the worst idea in the world. Mm -hmm. But apparently it's real. Yeah, I'm really, I really have to say, if the people are pranking us, I've got to give them a significant thumbs up. Because the articles that I read with the pictures of the founders and their completely oblivious um, statements about it sound absolutely 100% genuine. You know, did, did you see the hilarious uh, complaint they had about people leaving comments on their Facebook page? No, no. They they, they were earlier on being like, "How can you switch off comments to Facebook posts? I don't like that people can say whatever they want about us, and I have no control over it." Basically <laughs> <laughs> ironic, considering that's exactly their business model. Yeah, right. Exactly. So there's a point at which you do wonder, like, am I being goofed with? Exactly. Ha- yeah. I being pranked. Yeah. Because the more the more and more that you know, I think of it this the more I'm like, it has to be like some sort of weird Chris Mars type prank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Like that thing I, I told you, like somebody totally made up this thing that I completely bought like Snap Chat Snap Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. It's real. Jeff. No, Graham. No, 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 no. You don't understand. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe maybe I've gained the name wrong. But this is this thing. This person told me this was a thing where you send pictures to other people. And then the idea <laughs> is that these pictures, like, are supposed to, like, disappear from everywhere after 30 minutes. Like, anyone believes that would happen. Like, they're right. even I'm sending sorry. it onto a, each right. other's screen. That's totally, that's totally insane. Right? Like, so, I don't know. You know what would be nuts? Mm. If you had that... And, you know, people fell for it. And then you charged people so that they could keep some of the pictures for longer. Right? Right. That would, yeah. That would be serious. But yeah. no one would fall for that. No, I I know. This whole thing and this person was like, no, no, no. You really got to try it. It's like it's an emerging social media platform. I'm like, based on what? Did, did, did they go, do you remember Elo? Yeah. <laughs> Man, Elo is is still around. Elo is still around, and it's Elo is still. Around. There's probably like one guy posting on Elo right now. Well, yeah, exactly. No, what it is is because, of course, you know right. the Elo were the uh, the kid robot one. Of, the kid robot guy is is one of the people behind it. Like he's one of the dudes who like. So what you're saying is San Francisco is trying to pretend that Elo is still a thing? Yes, as to the point where they put up ads in. I think I want to say it's the Bart tunnels. Or whatever. There's like a thing where it's like, I'd, I'd say, please come back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because, because you know, if there's one thing that I've learned in San Francisco the last couple of years, is begging gets you nowhere. No, it's very much the attitude of like, you know, Elo, because you deserve to talk to your friends without ads, you know, or something like that. Like I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sure, that works. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's their. That's their, oh man, that's horrible. Yeah, social media, Jeff. Social right? bloody media. Yeah, that's exactly. You, um, mm-hmm. I was uh, watching Hulu now has Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle on it. Oh, and British people are like, oh, I've like that's years old, and it is for Britain. It was, it was on a couple of years ago in Britain, mm-hmm. but um, it's. I found it very funny because I realized I really like political and social comedians who are angry but are angry in the same direction I'm angry. Got it. So seeing, seeing this man just basically not even tell jokes but just get angry at racists and UKIP for half an hour. I find incredibly amusing. That that sounds uh, great. But he had a great he had a great opening where he was like 
uh, kids these days are bombarded with pornography everywhere. Pornographic images are, are on everything. Everywhere the looks are seeing these pornographic images. It's in their adverts. It's in their social media. And it's in the pornography that they can get on the internet. For free. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that is, that is, that's outrageous. Um, Graham, you'd asked me what comic books I'd read. Do you want to tell yes. me what comics you'd read? And should we talk about, like, the comics? Part of me feels like, eh, comics news, like, digressions. You well, know, the comics, good, the comics but... news is, is, like, part of me is sort of definitely trying to pivot away from the comics news. Mm. Um, in part because, like, the big story of today is the Scott Alley story. No which... shit, Really? Oh, if you not see it, of course you've not been on the internet. No. Uh, yeah, Janelle Aslan ran a story at Graphic Policy, um, basically outing Scott Alley as a serial harasser. Wow. He at Comic Con at San Diego Comic Con this year. This is me being like, I'm trying to pivot away from it, and then I tell you the story. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. San Diego Comic Con this year, he um, he got drunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writer of Joe Harris mm-hmm. uh, went up to him and was like, "It's you know, it's the editor in chief of Dark Horse. I should say hello. This is good for my career." And according to Harris, I mean, I, I do you say allegedly when you have one of the two people on record. Yeah, that's that's a that's a I tough get, call. Like, right. Let's say allegedly, just in case, to, yes, to legally cover our asses. Um, allegedly, Scott Alley grabbed his crotch and then bit his ear. Huh. Um, and again, allegedly, this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, first time it happened with Harris, but not the first time that, that Scott Alley has done this. Wow. Uh, in fact, there is, again, allegedly, a long history of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and a history that is allegedly widely known in Dark Horse. Um, and so, yeah, that's that story came out. Um, and it's, it's a thing because it, first of all, it names Ali, which is very unusual for, for a, co- a comic story about, uh, abuse mm-hmm. that actually names a person. It features Joe Harris again, a victim naming himself mm-hmm. and record about it. Um, but also, I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise. I don't think Scott Ali had that reputation. Right. That's all. Uh, and in fact, I think he arguably had the opposite reputation. Mm-hmm. I think Ali was seen as being very progressive and, and the creator of a safe space. Right. Uh, in right. Comics. Well, cause, uh, uh what, among other things, did, wasn't he what, the editor on the Buffy books for, yeah, for, for years up right. until earlier this year he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I mean, just if you, like, if you followed his Twitter, mm-hmm. then, you know, he he was one of the first people in comics to do the I stand with Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he he's he's been uh, vocally progressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where this is this feels very uh, at odds with his public persona. Right. Uh, the, the it's it's a really interesting story that Janelle wrote uh, in large part because she. I'm not sure if she really says this or if this was my takeaway from reading it. And I read, I should add, I read it very quickly mm-hmm. uh, because I've had a, a crazy day. Um, but she basically makes the, she, she suggests at the very least that uh, Ali's abuse 
is directly related to his drinking. Mm-hmm. And that he had earlier stopped drinking because he recognized he had a problem mm. uh, before starting again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a, an element of... I don't want to say how much of this is Ali because that is that sort of absolves him of blame. Right. And I don't think is appropriate. But also there's an outside influence, I guess. Yes. No, 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 no. And in fact, uh, um, maybe I'm misremembering, but wasn't there a story a couple of years back about um, another person in the comics industry who basically had engaged in some sexual harassing behavior and a lot of people pointed out that it was very much related to the person's binge drinking? Um, yes, I, I I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, in fact, I make I will clip this out. But Charles Brownstein, right? Wasn't that wasn't that Charles yeah. Brownstein? Yeah, okay, yeah. right. So I I feel like that name was out, and the I'll probably leave this part in because um, well, I, I, Jeff, I would actually check that it was out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like genuinely, because again, <laughs> let's not get sued. Yes, agreed, agreed. So, uh, but but no, again, it, it's it's very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could also make the case that, like, it's very similar to the Brian Wood thing, mm-hmm. where his uh, transgressions were also in social situations where he was seemingly drunk. Right. You know? But I was having this conversation yesterday with someone about something else entirely. Mm. But at what point... Uh, at what point are you making excuses? Mm-hmm. For the person, at what point does the person own their own their behavior? Yes, uh, and also at what point does the fact that they are otherwise progressive, yes, uh, act as a modifier for their their actions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of these are questions. It's it's getting. I uh, I on one hand like that it's getting away from the simple that person did a bad thing; they are bad mentality but also it's a i'm in a very uh saddened place about all of this i guess mm-hmm. uh something that's come out up in the last week we can have i think mm-hmm. is now that x-men 92 has been named as an ongoing series mm-hmm. uh valderazio has again you know complained about her treatment to the hands of Marvel and at Chris Sims uh, at Axel Alonso and at Jordan White. Mm-hmm. And that has led to this weird thing where you get people who are, quote-unquote, on Val's side mm-hmm. who are just like, fuck Chris Sims! Fuck Marvel! And you get people who are, quote-unquote, on Sims' side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. saying, I wish Val would just go away. And all of this is really all of it is is troubling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's all incredibly reductive and like picking sides and i think i don't think that even works anymore because like val is clearly working through trauma yeah do you know what i mean like she clearly is and she clearly needs to work through it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think even people who are quote-unquote on her side are doing her absolutely no favors uh and i think that Everything that she's saying and that she's saying publicly, I think she needs to do. I think she needs to to have that outlet and to regain some sense of control over things. Right. 
because she clearly does not feel a sense of control over this at all. Mm-hmm. And she, she, she genuinely has been traumatized. Like she's been through terrible, terrible things. Yes. Uh, but arguably the terrible things that are the things that are worse are not being talked about anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, the sexual abuse that was at the heart of the comic she wrote for Marvel that she, Sims then, then, you know, in, insulted and, 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 and went after mm-hmm. happened years earlier. Yes. You know, and I feel like that is, like that's, I, I, I shy away from saying more important because obviously like her own pain is her pain and she gets to say what is, what is the most important. But it feels like everyone's now like, well, without, sims everything would be fine and no it wouldn't no no absolutely mm-hmm. and it's and so this weird thing where like i kind of wish the internet was such a place where she could just say this and people would be like okay like i've had a very different experience with chris sims i've had a very different experience with jordan white i've had a very different experience with marvel but i get what you're saying right and people who who want to support her basically let her be heard and let her know that she's being heard, but don't then feel the need to be like, I'm going to go and shout at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so you hear something like what's going on with the, the Scott Alley story. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm really conflicted. Isn't the right way of putting it, but like I, I've met Scott. I know Scott's wife, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and my first thought, honestly, is, you know, I I feel terrible for Scott's family going through this. Right. Uh, I, I – which I agree. Tell, tell, me, tell me that I'm totally wrong. No, 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 no. I don't. Um, you know, it's funny because it's just – it's one of those situations where uh, – where uh, gray areas – by which I and, and in this particular case, I mean situations that that um, that in many cases people turn to the law to actually resolve that are not being resolved in that fashion. Uh, it it ends up being very problematic for for how to address them. Because on the one hand, I totally get what you're saying. You know, it's like yeah, Scott Alley's family. That is, that's a, that's a terrible thing to, for them to kind of have to deal with or depending on, you know, they sure, didn't ask at, for this. But at the same time, like, that doesn't excuse what, what he did. Well, it, exactly. Allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's only, I mean, it's a very, it's a strong, decent step away from Brian Woods's like, oh, we have to stop the, you know, the, the exactly. lynch mob mentality because well, think, you know. You know, at his heart, Brian Wood is not wrong. No, no, I get that. But and at the same I, time, yeah. Brian Wood is A, not the person to say make that argument. Right. And B, the way he made that argument was terrible. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but it's, I mean, uh, and you know this, and I will talk about this in sort of vague terms, but earlier this year, um, there was a, an attempt to accuse someone who's a friend of mine of something, not sexual harassment, I should say, Um but of something that would be that would that was more than just gossiping about comics people, like mm-hmm. of, of something harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone came to me with this, who had basically been given this uh, with the intention that they would take it public. 
mm-hmm. and asked me like you know is this true could this person have done this and that was a really strange experience for me as well like I, I, that sort of went along with it sort of in many ways started the way i look at like the the val scenario now or, or the the ali scenario which is being very aware of like the person mm-hmm. you know because when, when that when that person came and was like you know has has your friends done this i had such a vehemently no they're like that's that's not in their personality mm-hmm. response immediately followed by a is it <laughs> like right. is that in the person and i just don't know them yeah and and it it became a much more complicated matter than just you know Brian Wood has has sexually harassed women and and then attacked them when they uh, rebuffed him you know which when that came out I was just like I, honestly just you like he's a dick mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it was very simple to me do you know what mm-hmm. I mean it was just like you don't do that that's terrible yes. yeah um and then when it was when it was this thing which again was not sexual harassment, but was, was was something else altogether. But it was to do with a friend. Mm-hmm. I really did have that. Because I remember when the Brian Wood thing broke, I remember Jordi Belair and various other people who worked with him being like, he's not like this, you guys. Right. And I was just like, you don't understand. Right, exactly. I am part of this lynch mob. <laughs> and then, but but then when I am in the the that situation, mm-hmm. You then have that, like, oh, I get it. <laughs> right. It, it is much more complicated than I was making out. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it is it is true. Pe- people are – so we'll we'll see what happens. One of the things – I know some people were a little bit um, – like, it didn't go the full distance, but I remember thinking that, for example, I thought that Chris Sims's response, uh, which was – an explicit acknowledgement, uh, apology, and saying that he uh, had had done wrong. Like there were various other things that he, I don't think, had done especially right, or things that might have been a little worrying. But I found that, at least for me, that made it a lot easier for me to have people who knew him or who were friends with him, um, who said like. You know, he's changed. That's not the person that I know. Like, but but also, time has passed. But isn't that the best case scenario? Yes. Like, isn't the best case scenario that someone can have done a bad thing and then have learned and then have become a better person? Isn't that what we all hope for? Yeah. Because the alternative is they're bad. They're always going to be bad. Fuck them with knives. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I I totally agree. And and as someone who uh I don't know, you know, I don't I don't think I was like I would have to say as a general rule of thumb, I would like to believe that I was not a shitbag growing up. But I do know one or two instances in which I was um markedly unempathetic to others around me, mm-hmm. uh and or a few times in which um, I was not cognizant, as cognizant of the boundaries of the other person as I should have been because they were, um, because I just wasn't taking it as a fait accompli that there were 
you know, boundaries and borders. And I don't, I don't mean anything totally scary in that I like, you know, no, no, but, lock but I mean, the broom closet I, I door to- sort of thing. But I know. totally understand that because I like you're talking to the guy around found by rampage the blog, mm-hmm. you know, and I definitely didn't like didn't even think of things like that mm-hmm. at times. Do you know what I mean? I, I definitely didn't have a actually. Well, I'll give you an example of how crazy my week has been that kind of feeds into this. Okay. Um, guess what I had to do on Tuesday? Uh, wrestle a monkey? I had to apologize to Fox Studios and Ridley Scott. <gasps> what? Graham? Yeah. Wow. Why? For, for, Why? for something that is, uh, I wrote a story for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, based mm-hmm. on Ridley Scott saying that he knew about the water on Mars. Yes. Right. right. Um, and I thought it was funny. I just thought it was a funny, funny thing. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it from that angle, right? Uh, and it was it was it was very tongue in cheek when I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't know that anyone was upset about it, mm-hmm. but it was suggested that uh, they might be, and that I should apologise. And so I did. Uh-huh. Um, but again, no one complained. Mm-hmm. Like it was just suggested to me by someone I respect mm-hmm. at, at, within Hollywood Reporter that maybe I should. Apologize for it, and it was it was a good example of something that, because of the way that I did fanboy rampage, like never happened. I never would have had an answer being like, you know, that thing you thought was funny, mm-hmm. like you might actually have have said something that maybe not hurt their feelings, but they could see as being a diss, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I that's that's the entire reason that Matt Fraction doesn't like me because mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I am nine. Mm-hmm. I, I made a joke that I thought was a joke mm-hmm. and he took it personally, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it's, it's very easy to not, to overset boundaries by just not thinking about boundaries. Right. Right. And well, so that, that's the way I took what you were saying. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think what, what's great is your stuff is in the much more sort of, uh, kind of acceptable realm I think of well, faux pas I suppose such as it is and and I'm not saying I'm not saying like oh no Graham you don't get it but yeah I'm I, basically what I'm saying is is there are times where um people are not cognizant all the time and one of the things at least for me that I was you know again I was ridiculously unaware of of a certain amount of my behavior while gr- growing up and as part of a, you know, um, you know, this stupid straight white male privilege that, that, that allows me to just kind of conveniently, you know, ignore everyone else, uh, in some ways, all of which is to say, I have no doubt that there are, there are people in my past who think of me as a shitbag based on that encounter. And the thing that's ironic is I was a shitbag in those situations. And, um, it's, it's one of those things that I always find, you know, uh, it's, it's not like it keeps me up nights. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming you have this. I'm hoping that this is a universal human experience where you're like, walking someplace or you're driving or you're sitting it's usually in moments of personal reflection but you remember the incident and you just cringe oh, at yeah, your yeah. own behavior and, you while know? it would be very funny and very me to be like no jeff i have no idea what you're talking about i know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about right 
I know exactly like what that is right. when you suddenly remember something you did and it could be decades ago yeah. and you're just struck by that. I can't believe I did that. That is horrific. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so it, it'll be interesting. One of the things that I think is, is, uh, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to revisit this story in a week or two because this story only broke today. Um, we're not really seeing how Ali is exactly. responding we've not to it. How, we've not seen how anyone responded because one of the things that's uh, not I, – I wouldn't say – and again, I sped read, so maybe I'd have to read again for new ones. Mm-hmm. But I would not say it's, it's laid out directly. Mm-hmm. But there's certainly an implication that like Dark Horse as a company has has – Known about this and covered it up. Oh, so it, yeah. So it's it's not just Ali's behavior and mm-hmm. response. It's how does Dark Horse respond? Yes. So I, I think the story is going to continue. I, I think it's going to keep going. Right. I mean, for me, I suppose there there are levels at which, um, you know, again, I personally thought that Wood's reaction to things when this stuff came out. Uh, was was pretty shitty and i thought sims was a little more understandable but but by the same time as someone who you know has read val de Razio's work and you know i don't know her as a person but i like the person presented through her work or whatever i i have a lot of empathy for her. that situation seems really hard uh to you know sort of less cut and dry. We'll see how things happen here. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of factors in it. Um, certainly at least skimming the article that, that, you know, there's when people use terms like blackout drunk, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room. And again, as the situation, I remember that that was, like you said, there's, there's a certain amount of like, why should we give people latitude just because there was that, um, they were under the influence, but certainly hearing something as in someone was a, you know, had done this behavior before it appeared to be tied to their drinking. They ended up ceasing drinking for a while and now it looks like they might be backsliding. It sort of seems like that is a, um, I feel like it's, I feel like it's a factor. Like, I feel like you yeah. can't just be like, well, no, they chose to drink because it's, because it's not that simple. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think you have to, yeah. you have to factor that in. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, to me, certainly, uh, uh, at places that I've worked, there have been situations where people, uh, the company found out that the, that the person had some sort of substance abuse problem and actually, you know, made sure that they got the time off and it's such as it was rumored helped pay for them to attend rehab or something like that. And that, that strikes me as you would want to hope or believe that, uh, you know, that an employer doing that is not, um, you know, uh, reinforcing bad behavior, but is actually trying to, to help squash it. But I don't... No, exactly, yeah. You know, so I we don't really know. And that's the sort of thing that, again, does not get fully talked about. So hopefully we'll see more of a picture that emerges. I think, if nothing else, my feeling is... One of the things that is rough is is that because I, I do feel that these stories are important and that they're important that they come out, but I also do feel, uh, like you said, that the proper response is to continue to encourage the story to come out in full um, and not just have a, well, let's grab the torches and the pitchforks, you know, reaction when the very first thing hits, you know. 
Um, I, it does seem to me that that is in situations where where it looks like it's going up into the the court of public opinion that uh, the the least that the public can do, especially if they if we really want to this stuff to. Emerge, yeah, exactly. Emerge and hopefully get better. There has to be more than just uh, the the crazy torch waving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to you have to go further than burn the witch. Yeah, exactly. So, so that everyone, wow, is a deep dive into a topic where I I didn't want to talk about it in the first place. Yes. Um, let's see. You asked what comics I read, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Also, uh, I didn't okay. realize that Chris Sims that the X Men ninety two was actually so it's so actually getting it's on. ongoing. Really? Huh. Okay. That's good to uh, and know. what else is Marvel announced recently? Uh, God, I can't remember. They've, they announced a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly can't remember what they announced. God damn it. They, there was, there was, they did a bunch of stuff at the, the, um, the Diamond mm-hmm. Summit. Mm-hmm. The weekend. Um, what have I read? I have read, uh, Sandman Overture. Now that all six issues are out. Oh, interesting. What do you think? I saw issue six and realized I hadn't bought issue five, I think. So I... Honestly, what do I think? I think uh, I could be glib and be like, hey, for a story about a guy in charge of dreaming, it's great at putting you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, Graham. It's it's kind of impressive how oblique it is. One of the things that I think the original run of Sandman had in its favor Mm -hmm. is that Gaiman really was just doing straight head storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that each individual issue had a purpose in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much a meat and potatoes comic. Mm-hmm. Th- that is not true of Salmon Overture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salmon Overture plays to all of the worst impulses of Gaiman's, I am a storyteller, a teller of stories. Um, <laughs> and honestly, plays to all the worst impulses of J.H. Williams' art. Mm. And it is six issues of exceptionally indulgent uh, work, Mm -hmm. which if you're a fan of both those gentlemen, you probably think it's a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. If you are not, or like me, if you are a fan of some of their work, Mm -hmm. uh, it comes across as amazingly indulgent. It comes across as very slow and meandering and at times just stunningly obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, like Gaiman is amazingly unsubtle apart, and the, the the sixth issue in particular has an epilogue that is that honestly reads like a Gaiman parody, <laughs> like it really does. Um, the quasi spoilers, the final issue folds up the the arc of the series such as the series had an arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and at the end of it, basically everything is reset and people do not remember what has happened. Mm-hmm. And then there is a, I want to say three or four page epilogue of mm-hmm. desire and despair talking about it while they remember and they forget as, as the scene goes on. And it is like, it literally ends with, with one of them going, what were we talking about? And then we're going, I don't remember. It can't have been that important. Wow. Which, which is just terrible. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing and clumsy. And like the series as a whole is like that. Whoever thought that we needed to meet Sandman's dad and mother? Right. Like, why did that, who, who even cared? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, it's, it feels very much like Gaiman's like, they've given me a shit ton of money to do this. 
I don't really have ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure I can come up with something. And that he went into winging it. And, and, and that he didn't really end up coming up with anything. <laughs> that he's winging it for the entire six issues. Wow. Wow. It's funny. I, I mean, I really, it was one of those books that, well, you know what? Let me save that. Let me save that because, because I feel there's something that I do want to talk about that that ties into pretty nicely, uh, that I'll come back to. But, okay. um, huh. I'll save red. Yes. Yes. I read the, I read the end of Skull of the Slayer, Jeff. Hey. And uh, what's funny is last week when we talked about it, it turns out when I went back and, and decided I'm going to finish it, I hadn't even got to the Engelhart issues yet. Wow. So you were I'm like still, somewhere I'm in the still first. I the Marv Wolf moments. Yeah, Ooh. I was in the first half. Wow. Uh, and I didn't realize that as soon as Engelhart comes on, he changes the concept of the series immediately. Yeah. And the process pretty much kills the series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, it's right? It's to see him just be like, I'm going to change everything up and make it much less interesting mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. undoing the, pro- the premise of the series. Uh, yeah. I, honestly, Engelhart and Manflow just kill that book. Kill what little of that book I was interested in. Now, interestingly enough, because I, I don't get me wrong, I definitely agree. Engelhart is it's such a strange to me, sort of unlike Engelhart uh, type maneuver to essentially just kill a book's premise. Like I'm used to him taking it, spinning it, and you know what I mean. But this was just oh, no, he, he literally just throws it out the window. Yeah, he yeah exactly. Like um, pretty much on the first page. Just just yes, like, oh. yeah, yeah. Like in it, it, oh boy, it is so bad. So, but then I feel, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, that I feel that Mantlo very much either, and it's interesting because some of the people in the comments threads from from my posts on it were kind of like, yeah, you can tell Mantlo is hating it on on this book, and I'm like, really? I feel like he really like was into the first. Um, the the Wolfman stuff and tries to bring it back, but it's such a blind resuscitation, such an inelegant reset that it just ends up being, um, you oh, know, it's stillborn. It, it yeah. does feel like he's trying to bring some sort of continuity to the series, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just, it doesn't work. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, I think I said last time that it was like, you know, one of your favorite bands doing a song, that you, a cover version that you just didn't care about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing to me now that I finished it, just how bad it ends up being. Mm-hmm. Just how drastically, with those people involved, with those creators involved, mm-hmm. it just, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I read that. I read Engelhart's Justice Leagues again. Ooh. Uh, which are, you know, again, super fun and, and very strong superhero work and, and has a sense of humor and a joy about it that, for example, Skull didn't. Yes. Um, and then I made some terrible choices, Jeff. <laughs> Terrible. Um, I read Avengers: Rage of Ultron, which, yes. which I wrote about, mm-hmm. which is is dire. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a terrible, 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 terrible. I can't say terrible enough. Um, <laughs> terrible book, uh, and came away from that honestly being like, well, that book is utterly joyless and utterly cynical, and there's, there's, it's. Literally plug and play. Like, none of those characters had to be there. That could have been any Avengers. Mm. Um, and then thought, I should read Time Runs Out. The, the Jonathan Hickman, like, end story of Avengers and New Avengers. Is it, is it all collected on Marvel it's Unlimited all collected. now? Oh, it's not okay. all Marvel Unlimited, but it's all collected. And oh, all of it was in the library. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And that's, it's four volumes. It's hilariously four $25 volumes, Jeff. Wow. One, uh, time runs out, you're getting $100 worth of comics. Just for the time runs out stuff? Just for the time runs out stuff. Jesus. All right. Um, and so I was like, okay, because – and I said this in my Rage of Ultron post. I was like, do the other comics ever, like, sync up? Because mm-hmm. the whole – the thing about Time Runs Out was it's eight months ahead, but it's the real Marvel Universe. Everything will sync up. Yes. And I said, does everything sync up? And people were like, no. No, it doesn't. Um, wow. But I thought, well, if nothing else, it's going to be like, it's Hickman all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's essentially writing one book, like one story through two books. Mm-hmm. It's going to be coherent uh, and everything's going to tie up. Like, Secret Wars is Secret Wars. Everything's going to tie up in this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it and, you know, I'm just going to get through it and see what it does. It's a mess. Uh, <laughs> it's a mess at so many levels. It is. It's tonally a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I anyone who talks about their love for time runs out, and then complains that DC Comics are grimdark, mm-hmm. uh, should take a look in the mirror and question their life choices because it is <laughs> hilariously just dour. It's a it's a it's a depressing, cynical piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it narratively just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that you basically wouldn't have been reading this unless you've been reading all of Avengers. Mm-hmm. But he drops things in there, and I have read these comics that I was like, "What is that again?" <laughs> like a large part of Thor's quote unquote arc, which is not really an arc, mm-hmm. uh, is. Even though he's unworthy, he then uses the hammer of Thor with two R's, which he can use. And they keep on showing you this hammer mm-hmm. as it's important. And I'm like, what the fuck is this hammer? Yeah. This hammer come from? Turns out it was used by the alternate universe Thor in those three issues of Avengers. Wow. Remember that? Well, fuck you. Oh, also, if you yeah. remember those Avengers, you might wonder where the other Bruce Banner comes in. At the end of the story. Line. Oh yeah, yeah, the one that they they end up locking in a room yeah. or something, and he's yeah, from a. He, yeah. he shows up in the last issue. The the last wait the last last issue maybe the second last issue because I was about to say I hate to say it but I feel like I know that I read his his appearance on like Marvel Unlimited like two months ago and it was still a long ways before the time ran runs out was going to run out because if you're. <laughs> Maybe, you know maybe, I mean? I'm t- maybe I'm misremembering. I could have sworn it was the end, but maybe I'm wrong. Because um, I, I like dove through all four of these collections in one evening. Mm, right. Okay. Um, but he, like, again, he just appears, and they're like, "Yeah, it's, he's he's the Bruce Banner from the other dimension that we are now mind controlling." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? Who? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, it just throws all these things at, and like, and it's Hickman, so it's all the the verbiage as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's the, you know, I am the Maker, I am the builder, and you're like, okay, I am Rabu Malol or whatever. I'm the interior so, decorator. Really, it's like you know, Doom. You are Rabu Malol. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, is this a thing? Like, is that important? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, uh, Doctor Strange is one of the Black Priests. Yes. Is that a thing? Again, I've read all these comics, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rabu Mall, of course, is sort of a thing because that's like – that was his big like reveal. Yeah, he's like right? the – yeah, that's the big reveal because he's like some sort of like god. But 
oh, it's just all of it is put together incredibly slapdash. Mm-hmm. Um, another problem is some of the art choices are questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, having Hyperion and Thor both have long hair and a beard and essentially look exactly like each other, but they're wearing different clothes. Yeah. Is, uh, is something that can only be pulled off if your artists can draw different faces. <laughs> and if they can't, then you're just drawing the same guy twice. Right. You've uh, got to make exactly. sure that your, your colorist is like, okay, one's a ginger, the other's not. Please keep it straight. Don't worry. We yes. won't get confused. Yeah. Um, and you've got, but in the midst of this, you've got, you've got some interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. You have Sunspot buying advanced idea mechanics. Yes. Which is, which is one of the better ideas. Yeah. Uh, and that that entire thread is great up until uh, the climax, where mm-hmm. it literally falls apart mm-hmm. because he does nothing with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you start off time runs out as you put Cap side. You've got the Illuminati. Cap is now in charge of Shield, mm-hmm. um, and they are hunting down the Illuminati. Yes. Meanwhile, you have Sunspot's team, who are like none of them are being superheroes anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they all have to just grow up and work together for the greater good, mm-hmm. which is a super interesting idea. Mm-hmm. You have the next generation of heroes being like, all of you are just being idiots. Mm-hmm. It's time to grow up. Yeah. The problem with that is Sunspot appears and goes, it's time, you're all being idiots, it's time to grow up, and then disappears from the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because, spoilers, everything ends like three issues later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's apparently more interesting to Hickman to then have Captain America and Iron Man tell everyone that they're right for the next three issues while <laughs> it falls to pieces around them again. Yeah. The fact that the book actually ends with, for no reason whatsoever, Captain America putting on armor and having a fight with Iron Man. Right. Which right. comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, uh, Sure, they're upset with each other. But the idea that while all this is going on, Cap's like, fuck it, I'm going to put on armor and punch him a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you can sense, well, again, for it's a problem I have with him a lot. In the notes, this probably made sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I end up with this very dramatic scene where the two of them are driven to have this fight and it turns physical. And as the world ends around them, you see the two most beloved heroes of the Marvel Universe fighting. Right. But in execution... It's just nonsensical. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, there's there is the I I can't remember if this ends up under the time runs out rubric or not, but there's an entire storyline, and by storyline I mean maybe it's only two issues, although it felt like fifty, where Captain America keeps getting pushed forward into the future. Oh, that, that's that's original sin that lasts four issues. Oh, is it okay? And that's that that was. A, unbelievably tedious, and B, how do I put it? Like, Hickman, as, and this is, this is God help us all. I know everyone's tired of hearing, you know, uh, I think each of us say variants of this, but Hickman's concept of characterization and how to show characterization in action is, is pretty limp. And so there's a, Big idea. It's also very much this idea of like, here's my take on the characters. It really doesn't like necessarily jibe with your understanding of the characters, but it's the take. 
that I have and you pretty much have to accept it or, you know, GTFO. So Wait, well, but fair, that's the Marvel thing in general these days. Right? Yes. And, and it's something that the readership loves. You know, you look at Hawkeye, mm-hmm. which is not recognizable as any other version of Hawkeye that had ever existed before that. Sure. But it's the one that resonated with readers and they're like, that's who Hawkeye is now. Right. And, and it, it, you know, you can't, so you can't blame Marvel for going where the money is, but you can, of course. But, well, I, I guess know, what, what's the point of it? What's the point of doing that? I guess my thinking is is that uh, this is this is why Marvel in the past always managed to get a certain amount of juice by using characters on the periphery. So the sort of the larger the periphery that you have when you bring someone in, it's like sure Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, pretty inconsistent with the Hawkeye that most of us know and quote-unquote love but you know but there's a lot to be said for the fact that that character has more or less been you know a central character in west coast avengers a couple of short-lived attempts at his own series and then more or less was the guy who talked you know just like an angrier version of the human torch for like huge chunks of the avengers in general I, I could be wrong, but I definitely feel that uh, there is a consistency to the conception of Captain America that seems under Hickman to have very much changed. Like, honestly, in some ways, Hickman's Avengers uh, strikes me as a much bigger love letter to um, Mark Ultimates. Miller's Ultimates in, yeah. in many ways than I yes. would have expected. And so his Captain America sort of makes sense if you think of Mark Miller's Captain America, but it does not make much sense to me as, quote-unquote, the Captain America of the Marvel Universe, especially oh. where he's being shot farther and farther into the future, and they're like, okay, so you see what happens? This all manages to work out, but pretty much only if you manage to put away your desire to go and punch this guy in the face. And Captain America is like, I'm Captain America, I'm all about punching the guy in the face. You know, but but it's not just Captain America. Like the same is true of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Exactly, uh, and, and and Iron Man is an amazingly uh, inconsistently written character mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in Marvel Comics. But again, his treatment in the Hickman run mm-hmm. is far more Machiavellian mm-hmm. uh, than than the, the character had ever been before. And to the point where part of me wonders if Axis and Superior Iron Man happened, because that's the only way you can really get Iron Man doing what he needs to do in order for the Hickman plot to work. Like, do you leave, like, did the, did you leave Iron Man evil after mm-hmm. Axis because he had to be in order for Time Runs Out to work? Well, yeah, although his... The extent of the plot that supposedly is, you know, more or less seated in Hickman's first Avengers issue, uh, shows a ridiculous amount of, uh, you know, of, of manipulation, of deceit, of varying degrees of, I mean, I think this is one of the things that I think is, is fascinating to me is, is that Hickman, and I feel like this can be a problem with many of writers in superhero comics today, but Hickman, I just think does not necessarily subscribe to a conception of people as being either. He's not, he doesn't subscribe to the idea that people are inherently good 
or he just really has not a lot of interest in writing about those characters, uh, which I think is probably closer to it. He, I think his idea of the Marvel concept of characters operating in an area of gray or not, you know, flat out heroic, but quasi anti-heroic, uh, where he takes that, like where his starting point is for that area of gray is really very dark, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's exactly what New Avengers is. Mm-hmm. New Avengers is, hey kids, it's your favorite heroes. They're now committing cosmic genocide. Yes. Well, and it was one thing where, for me, where, where it was, uh, Hickman spending 15 or 20 issues plot hammering them into the the thing of like okay they have no choice but to do this like that was really hard for me to accept but at a certain you know just in terms of the construction itself i was like it's kind of tedious but then when you get to that point the way that some of those characters map out and i think that's one of the problems for me with the idea that time runs out is time runs out uh and the and and that jump um it really resembles nothing more than uh civil war the jump you know of whatever it is like three or four weeks in issue three or whatever where it's like the registration act passes and pretty much in the next panel you've got superheroes hunting down superheroes you know it's just yeah because the connective tissue just doesn't make sense you yeah have, it just you have does to make something be like well that's the thing about time runs out and all new different marvel which is kind of fascinating to me mm-hmm. in theory all new different marvel takes place after time runs out mm-hmm. the way the characters act in time runs out in so many ways and that's not even counting the fact that you know some of them die on panel yeah um i i don't buy that you can get back to anything resembling the regular Marvel Universe afterwards. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it makes no sense. Like, there is a level of forgive and forget right. that, that is nonsensical. Well, and, and one of the things that I think is kind of interesting to me is, is that I feel like um, that Marvel, usually there are, I, I think we've talked about sort of that fine line with continuity where there are ways to uh, adjust the continuity that that sort of seem very sensible and smart and times that just feel like ridiculously dickish, you know, John Byrne, like, no, those characters would never do that. Hence, I'm going to point out that they're all scrolls, you know, who were stuck in a toward love affair with Dormammu's sister or whatever. You know, it's like I... I I would not. Part of me is like, okay, so we've got a universe, a set of universes that were being manipulated by the Molecule Man, uh, aka the Human Plot Device, and Doctor Doom. And part of me is like, okay, if you've got Doctor Doom manipulating reality, I'm almost willing to believe the idea that you could then basically have an in-story reason for why everyone's acting a lot more, uh, both Machiavellian and, and pig-headed. Because they're all being influenced by an, an, an omnipotent villain who is exact, who is, the, are those features incarnate, you know? Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion we're not even going to get anything remotely like that. We're just going to be like, hey, it's all new, all different Marvel. And the great thing is these guys are all friends, but one of them's got a dark secret, you know? And it's like, ugh. Again, one of them again has a dark secret. Yes, again has. I, well, exactly. We see, we we say that, but you know, it's not like Secret Wars is ever going to end. 
<laughs> right. That is true. I mean, it is it is fascinating to me the idea that Secret Wars is still well, your your point about uh, Rage of Ultron uh, in your post, which was that that uh, Opeña had either by choice or was for, foisted had an assistant foisted on him that was essentially working on panels within the page, such that they were able to hit their you know the the release of the Avengers movie on time for their their hardcover, and yet by by contrast, you've got this entire event that up. Uh, appears to be potentially tripping up most of the universe's you know release schedule and they're deciding to very much stick to the guns of well the creative team is the creative team and that's what we're well going to yeah but there's there's a difference here that is worth noting mm-hmm. which is that assumes that the problem with secret wars release schedule is the artist it's hard for an artist to draw a story that hasn't been written that's right that's right and or is one of those situations where, I don't know, where the, I mean, we certainly don't hear the sort of shenanigans of like this story had to go back and was, you know, essentially, you know, editorial kicked it back three times. Like yeah. you never hear those stories about Marvel. Though. Yeah. And that's know. not because it doesn't happen. It's because no one ever wants to be the person who pisses off Marvel and tells those stories. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably very true. So yeah, who knows what's actually happening behind the scenes? Or rather, there are lots of people who know what are happening behind the scenes, but we we are not them. And it is fascinating to me. It really is interesting. Like Hickman is a guy who I can see why he's successful in the sense of he 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 has ideas. He's got he's a very ambitious. Yeah, he plays a long game. Yes, uh, and that's a, that's a real rarity amongst uh, basically any writer who has come up in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think the ambition alone sells a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a, a general, I also genuinely think a lot of people really enjoy the execution. Right. Right. Well, it's yes, exactly. I'm not one of them. No, and I'm not either. I guess that's what I mean is is that I think that the thing he has the ambition, but like for example, and this this may be a a bad example, apart from Hawkeye, I feel that Matt Fraction's tenure on Marvel may well be looked back on as an incredibly mixed bag. Uh, and not just. <laughs> I, th- I think I think it definitely will. And I yeah. think that includes Hawkeye because Hawkeye was one of the good things in that mixed bag. Yes. No. Exactly. Was it was a good thing in that in that mixed bag? But I feel like a lot of people are for a guy who did a a lot of work at Marvel. Depending on how things work out, I almost feel as if uh, Hawkeye and Iron Man are going to be remembered as as, as the standouts. And Iron there's, Fist. Oh, oh yeah, and Iron Fist too. Uh, that's right. Which, which I'm always like, has that little weird, you know, um, you're uh, like, it was Brubaker. <laughs> well, it was the two of them in tandem. You know, I mean, I definitely feel that on the one hand, uh, it, I don't mean to take that away from Fraction, but on the other hand, I can see where, for example, one of the things that I think that Brubaker is very good at, which is plotting a story so that it hits its beats in a satisfying way and then Fraction's talent for very effervescent dialogue um, made Iron Fist a very strong combination, but it really did help that that book 
like continued to build it continue, you know it's stacked in a way very nicely that i feel that a lot of people don't necessarily feel that fractions work necessarily does in other contexts yeah you know? no i I, th- I think that's very true so uh, but so wait how does this relate to hickman though uh, i was going to say that basically if you look at fraction and you look at hickman these are two different very two very different types of creators and I feel that overall, uh, I feel like Hickman's work uh, seems to get a lot more attention um, from editorial and also the fans in a very positive way. Whereas I think that Fraction stuff tended to get a um, – and, and I could be wrong because I didn't follow his reception in, say, the – the rest of the comics press, but at least hearing stories from people, there are people, even the people who I feel are like, yeah, Hickman's works great are like, eh, Fractions Thor is not really doing it for me or uh, his X-Men had a lot of good ideas, but I prefer say Karen Gillan's work on that. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there's, well, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things at play there though. Mm-hmm. I think the Fractions work was genuinely more variable, variable in terms of content. Yeah. I, I think he genuinely did have high points and low points, whereas right. Hickman generally is at the same tone the entire way through. Like, yes. if you like Hickman's work, you like Hickman's work. But if you don't, you're probably like, it's not like you're going to pick up Fantastic Four and be like, oh, this is a different guy. Yeah. You know, I think the Fraction actually did have more variety going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And also, I think Fraction had a much more positive reception all the way through to Fear Itself. Yes. And of and course, I, Fear yeah. Itself mm-hmm. was just bad enough basically yeah to to sour fraction for a large proportion of of readers and also people at marvel yes i think that i think that is quite possibly true and i also get the feeling that that again that's that those that that his tools such as they are do not actually fit very well with the fear itself big marvel event and hickman is in in a way that people feel that hickman's work does i'm not crazy actually about hickman's work on big events either because of the reliance on um relentless plot hammering but at least his plot hammering feels thematically consistent in a way that that fear itself of course felt very slapdash and and desperate well i think the fraction uh i think that hickman thinks very much on a grand operatic plot level right and i think the fraction does not naturally i think yeah and that's what i think human level and so when it comes to something like fear itself he's out of his element and and visibly so yeah, exactly. And his attempt to get out of it, I think, was to be the cool kid who went to film school who is reworking tropes, mm-hmm. as opposed to, for want of a better, you know, better or worse, Hickman is being sincere in his "I am fucking doing Dune in outer space." Right. Do you no, know what I mean? right? Like, exactly. He's, mm-hmm. he's like, "Look at me! Mm-hmm. I've got the Shi'ar and the Kree." And they're teaming up. There's yes. fucking Thanos. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's very much that idea of like, oh, here's this ragtag fleet of, you know, thousands of ships that are desperately outgunned, that are on the run, that only the Avengers being able to barely turn the tide and all that stuff. His work, like you said, I think his work starts from the top down 
and doesn't do a very good job of scaling all the way to the bottom, which is the human character scale that we would like. And I think, yeah, I think fraction stuff starts well at the ground level, but has trouble scaling up past a certain point. So like the two, in that sense, that's why I bring it up is I sort of feel like the two skill sets seem to be like, you know, if you could suture them together into a, a, a exactly. If you had the two of them working together, they could probably do like kick ass Marvel. But yeah, exactly. In a way that everyone would be like, Oh, holy shit. That would be fantastic. But, but as it is, I am fascinated by the extent to which Hickman, e- even the way in which Hickman part of the thing that sets up the secret wars event is the idea that you have these beyonders, you know, he's explicitly calling out the first secret war, you know, mm. and I remember, you know, one of the things that sometimes is fun about not reading a book, but seeing people talk about it on Twitter was very much this idea of like, I, I really honestly thought that he was going to be like, oh, this is, you know, essentially the Doctor Doom who gets the godlike power from secret war, you know, is Secret the Wars one who won. Yeah, Secret Wars one is the guy who's coming back. You know, that the doom that we've seen since has been sort of a, a splinter of his mind's eye, you know, sort of making his way about the earth. And this is the real dude, and this ties into the first event, and so it leads to you know what I mean? Like to me, I'm like, oh, it's got a really organic through line of like, this is the new Secret War event, Secret Wars. Sure, but Jeff, you can't do that. Why? Because that is that is cre- like that is amazingly fanboyish. This event hinges <laughs> on something that literally happened thirty years ago. Yeah, but that happened before the people reading it were born. Sure, but on the other hand, I mean, unless uh, I can see, that, first off, part of me is like, I don't think, and I could be wrong, that you're going to get a lot of people who are going to react like the Spider Clone Saga and be like, what? The Doctor Doom in my most beloved issues wasn't the real Doctor Doom. Outrage, I'm burning all these books. Because there have been enough times in Fantastic Four itself where the idea of Doctor Doom being the actual Doctor Doom is, you know what I mean? Like, that's already oh, been, yeah, that's, unfortunately, that, yeah. in the equation. Just wait until you get the Engelhart issues. Right, exactly. You know, it's like too much so. So that element's already in there. But also, for me, I'm like then it sort of makes sense for the reason that you've got the new fucking $40 edition of the original Secret Wars event with the toy tie-ins or whatever the fuck they were doing. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, here's the series. Like, if you're like, holy shit, what the fuck was that? I don't even know about this. I wasn't even born. Here's this book. Crap, it's terrible, but at least it explains where the event came from. You know, and it kind of isn't that sort of what the nature of Marvel continuity that kind of get jazzes us up about was exactly kind of that ambitious fanboy type I, thing or no? I think uh, I have very complicated feelings about this because on the one hand, sure, Engelhardt did that all the time. And that's why I love about Engelhardt's work. But at most, he was calling out things that happened 10 years ago. And also the stories were never actually about those things. I think there's a difference between going, look how this connects to a story that happened 10 years ago and the main villain of this, you know, eight issue miniseries and nine issue miniseries, but really it includes all the Avengers series, but it's just for that. So the main point of this storyline that has been going on since 2012 is the story that happened 30 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, you still have a, you still have a sequence where, yeah. I feel there's something bad faith about going, 
Yet the bad guy, if you want to understand him, you have to have read this comic from 30 years ago. I don't think you need to understand it. To me, it's kind of a thing of like, you can sum it up in a, in a big whole panel of like, yeah, there was this event. He got godlike powers. Cause instead you've got, I mean, you still have Hickman calling on an event that happened 30 years ago. And at least as I understand it, what with the renaming of the Beyonders characters, it makes less sense to me i mean you know <laughs> oh, I, there's so there's so much about time runs out that makes no sense you know it, i the, mean uh the, even bringing in the beyonders at all exactly makes sense yeah there's no reason to do it zero reason to do it yeah yeah uh, yeah that, but like but so much of it does why do we like why do they kill the living tribunal it's it's like I I you know I this happens when was original sin last year the year before uh yeah like you so you do it within a year of killing off the watcher it's like right. why are you doing this and yeah. also why is the moon literally just covered in corpses of dead cosmic entities now <laughs> what's going on the moon yeah. what's that about yeah yeah um but it's it's just yeah there's lots of time runs that that just makes no sense and is never wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it was never wrapped up because basically Hickman can't. Mm-hmm. Because that that's the feeling I got from it was mm-hmm. Hickman's terrible at endings. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just downright terrible at endings. Mm-hmm. Because I guess Secret Wars is, a, is the real conclusion, but it's also Nox. It's an alternate world story. Well, that's it. Where, again... Eight years have passed or something like that. There's a very – my personal thing is, is I feel that uh, – I, I don't necessarily know about, about the endings per se. But I do think that with maybe the exception of when Submariner is like, fuck it. Give me this you know, device. I'll kill another entire universe because I'm fucking tired of this. Which was a really satisfying moment when it finally happened because it was like – Finally, someone's doing something and it feels like it's being motivated by their character and to an extent how we've seen them be played out. And it also helps that it's kind of, you know, it's Namer, so it's more or less a disposable character. But there is a lot of the Captain America and Iron Man getting ready to, like, punch each other in the face over this blood feud. I think it's very telling that a lot of the events happen either in a gap, so we don't see the actual kind of... You don't see the events. You see the yeah, yeah. You see, you see the aftermath, and you you pretty much even see it with the stuff with with Tony and his huge master super Avengers plan. You know, there's all these levels at which he's sort of making these decisions. You know, you see the aftermath of the things, but Hickman can never. It's very rare that he actually is able to show the character coming to the decision. Like you see them make the decision on panel. I, it, at least in the Avengers issues that I read. It could be a completely different story with all the other but, Hickman stuff that I wasn't able to see. So reading. what's really interesting is comparing that to Remander in Rage of Ultron. Because Remander is not a planner. And Remander mm-hmm. like, likes things to happen on panel. Mm-hmm. He, he goes the opposite. He's he's very much melodramatic. Yes. Like the realization will happen on panel and someone will shout about it. Yes. Um, but very much like Hickman... Everyone acts amazingly out of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone is in service to the plot, like visibly in service to the plot. Rage of Ultron is another story that just makes zero sense mm-hmm. on almost any level whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because characters either have no motivation mm-hmm. because they are interchangeable there to make up the numbers, 
or their motivation is now brand new, <laughs> out, out of nowhere. Right. Um, I mean, out of prior to this, the last time you saw Hank Pym, he was the leader of Avengers AI, where mm-hmm. he was forming a team uh, made up of artificial intelligences because he's all about the AI. Right. Rage of Ultron, he's decided he's going to kill all the artificial intelligences because they're not really alive. Right? Like, it's it's literally 180 from where you last saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vision, of course, has gone from being the detached, you know, emotionless, but secretly warm dude, mm-hmm. to the shouty dude, who mm. will now yell at Hank for doing this and talk about, am I not alive? You're saying I'm not a man? It's just, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. But unlike Hickman's, you know, in Hickman, that would have happened three pages before the scene started, and you would see the two being standoffish to each other. Right. Remender just prefers to have them, like, have this have this incredibly melodramatic over-the-top scene on page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much like Hickman's doesn't feel appropriately Marvel, neither does Remender's. Because for me, there was always a level of um, humor to diffuse the melodrama Mm. or self-awareness, perhaps. Right. That it never, you know, if something was getting that melodramatic, and God knows we've, you know, in Fantastic Force we've been reading, they get very melodramatic. Oh, yeah. A character comment on it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I'm punctuate. And that just doesn't happen in, in Ridge of Ultron at all. Mm, interesting. That's a, actually a, a great point about about Remender's work that I think is important. Do you think? Do you think that it's possible? And this is the thing that I unfortunately keep coming back to: is the idea that these characters have been around for so long, and their continuity is essentially so convoluted that the people that there is no attempt to actually keep characters in character anymore. That the idea is that... I, I think that's been the case for a while. Mm-hmm. I think so as well. You and know, I, I, well. I think I think you can, like, even look all the way back to, like, Bendis taking over Avengers. Yeah. Right. And you've got... Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The, 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 then you're, you're at the everyone's acting out of character moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sure. And, and, I, and again... It's sold for them. Like, that's worked for them. Why well, Why should Marvel try and keep everyone in character? Because you have people creating them out of character, and everyone loves it. Well, this, this is one of my things. You're not into wrestling. I'm not into wrestling. I've always wondered how much, as time has gone on, uh, and uh, essentially that the world of wrestling has come to... Um, influence the world of superhero comics because there are f- people on the internet who are fans of both who write about it a lot um, well, or at least have written about it somewhat and one of the things that strikes me is the way that wrestling dynamics have you know A, that idea that sort of everyone sort of gets their heel turn you know where it's like they they become the bad guy but also there's that idea of like former comrades are now foes is you know i mean it's it's a real way to goose your narrative um you know in in a way that feels more powerful sure, than... but, but wrestling is very different from comics in that it's actually real people 
Right. So you have to cycle characters out so that you do get a, a, a climax. You do get an end. Yes. Well, that's it. Whereas, like, you yeah. know, Captain America has been fighting evil in various forms since 1940. That's right. Right. Exactly. You know, Superman's been doing it since 1938. Right. Exactly. But at least, at least DC's had the, the, uh, I, do I call it sense? I'm going to call it sense. They've had the sense to reboot. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly a fan of, of rebooting. I, I think, unfortunately, you can't, you should not play that card too often, which I feel unfortunately. Oh, no, I think DC has at this point. Yeah, and I think that but, is. But for example, I think Marvel needs a reboot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am actually sad that all new, all different Marvel is not a reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it was actually the time to do it. I yes. Think people have, because they had never done it before, people would have sat up and it would have made all Neil different Marvel different from any of the other relaunches that they've done and allow them the chance to revise the books. Yeah, revise, revise the, the books and revise the characters rather than just sort of this stealth, like we've slowly been moving the, the slider on Iron Man, you know, over to Robert Downey Jr., you know, over the last, you know, decade and a half or whatever, you know, it's like, you can now start with a default of like, that's the character. You don't necessarily have to deal with other problematic aspects or, I mean, again, even something like the vision and, you know, whether he's shouty vision or not, like, I mean, there's all that stuff of like, like he had kids, you know, the, the whole Engelhart, like there were actual Kids and then of course yeah, and then the thing, thing gets right Those and, kids are, but they're still around again yeah, because that's right. young Avengers re-retconned them yeah. so that they're the young Avengers. So that they're, uh, oh god, who are they? Wicked and Speed. Ah, right. And, and so for the new Vision series, which is based around, and now the Vision's got a family that he builds himself. Mm-hmm. It's wacky because he actually has a family. Yes, right. He actually has kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and it's that again, weird. If, mm-hmm. if you reboot, mm-hmm. then that's fine. Right, exactly. You know, Vision doesn't have kids. He's building this family. Your series works much cleaner. Yes. Although, do you then go into the sort of problem that you had with, say, Infinity Incorporated post Crisis in terms of, well, then with the Young Avengers, do you have to then give uh, Wiccan and Speed all new origins? Or is there a way that you can get them to work, you know? At the same time with the origins that they have. Well, you could get them to the origins that they have by saying they're the kids of the Scarlet Witch. Uh, I see. Got it. You know, because that's essentially what they are. They are now these days the kids of the Scarlet Witch. And the vision is just ignored in that narrative. Mm, okay. Okay. Right. Um, it's, But, you know, there's just – there's so much that – just makes no sense with all with the the vast history these characters have had. For example, in all new all different Marvel, Daredevil is now the Attorney General of New York City. That's New York where he was disbarred <laughs> for lying in court wait, about being Daredevil. Who who's wait which which incarnation of Daredevil is this the all new all different thing that they're all going new, with? all different? Yeah, who's writing all new all different? Charles Sewell. Oh Sewell, but he. I mean, okay. I just I have no idea how the hell. I mean, if anyone you would think would pay exactly. attention if to the idea, of, knows. Mm-hmm. I mean, presumably he's got a solution, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you have all these things that could just be so much neater. You know, honest to God, 
why not just have uh, Thor be Jane Foster? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're dedicated to Thor being Jane Foster, why not reboot and say, oh, by the way, it's always been Jane Foster? Sure. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's, you just you have the opportunity to just tidy everything up. Yes. And you don't even have to start with, like, here's everyone's origin again. But you can at least go, okay, there's 50 years of stories. Maybe we just start from ground zero and make it up as we go along. Yeah, yeah. You know, build in a – you know, take the time to actually build out a Bible, uh, you know, for, for takes on the characters and things and, and just and just go with that, which is hilarious because it really is that thing of maybe they feel that if that would happen, the fans that they still have would – yeah, I don't know. You know that it's like this jumping off point. I, 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 yeah, I think that's probably the, the reason they're not doing it. But mm-hmm. also, I don't think the fans are going to jump off. I think Marvel could do whatever it fucking wanted now and the fans would jump off. Well, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, uh, the other, the alternative is it's a little bit like George Lucas's version of the Star Wars prequels. It's like, <laughs> you know, I always feel that Lucas with the prequels wasn't going to do them until he had more or less fucked up every other filmmaking opportunity that he had, you know? And then he went to the point of like, okay, finally I'm going to get around to doing the prequels because I didn't get my TV division launched. I, you know, the, the Howard, the duck franchise went nowhere, you know, whatever it is that's going on, you know, is like, okay, I'm going to do this. Although maybe not. Cause I'm, you know, cause he did young Indiana Jones. I feel like he's obviously like, ah, can't wait to do these characters as kids. But uh, I think Jones worked out so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for him, it didn't run more than like a season. Like I, I want to like say it ran three seasons. Yeah, exactly. So three seasons for him, I'm sure he was like, hey, this is hugely successful. So to, to, to ignore that end of ridiculous speculation for me, let me do say it'll be interesting to see if we can tie this together to my other thread, which okay, is what? Which is which is what? <laughs> Welcome to our new name change. We've gone to wait what to which is what the uh the the it's podcast were which is what oh yeah it does kind of sound that sounds it sounds a little pervy when you put it like that I think but meh. Graham I had this realization uh recently and fascinatingly enough that realization came um from buying issues of uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, the fade out on sale. Like it was on sale on Comixology, 99 cents an issue. Uh, and um, all the caveats in place. I know that a lot of people are way more organized than I am when it comes to their comic book buying, their comic book shopping. Like people have like regular pull lists at comic stores. And if they don't, they have a list of books that they buy. You know, they have a wish list of issues that they're missing that they need to fill in, you know, all those sorts of things that I have generally for years and years and years done without, and which is proving to be my undoing. All of which is to say the fade out. I ended up, even though I knew that I had the individual issues, there came a point at which I could not remember what issue I'd stopped reading on, what issue, you know, because there's a very nice, clean cover aesthetic that I'm sure if I was like, I don't know, 20 years old or 30 years old, or even just paying a modicum amount of goddamn attention, I could remember what character was on that white blood-stained background of the last issue that I read. But I absolutely, honestly 
could not, and thanks to various uh, maneuverings around of my various floating issues, had no idea, honestly, where I had stopped and or gotten lost. So the opportunity so came up. Thing, I bought saying. the whole thing. 99 cents an issue. I think there were seven issues on the sale, I think. Uh, and then, honestly, I turned around and bought and paid issue eight and nine full price digitally because I don't think that I had those issues. I'm still somewhat sure that I do not, at least one of them. So all of which is to say, I sat down via the miracle of the iPad and Comixology and read the fade out, at least the first six issues of it. I think I just finished issue seven recently and it was a tremendously enjoyable experience for me. I mean, it helps that, you know, Brubaker uh, is, you know, very much working on building each uh, issue as a chapter. It helps that each issue is, I think more than 20 pages. So there's, it, it's got a good substantial feel to it. And reading it that way was such that I was kind of like, Maybe I am done with buying floppies. Like, I have been buying floppies for a long time now. I still continue to buy them uh, thanks to the discount that I get as a former employee for Comics Experience. Is better, is, go is good, but part of me is like, you know what? Maybe it's worth it for me to be able to, because one of the things I very much appreciate is uh, being able to grab... Like, I don't have to, like, if I don't remember the previous issue uh, in, of what happened, it's much easier for me to grab, to if I bought it on Comixology, to spend the, you know, two minutes at most downloading it and then rereading that issue and then jumping into the next issue than me rooting around through the piles of comics that I have sitting around to assemble those issues. Um, so... This is kind of my thing, sort of, as you said, Marvel kind of needs to tidy up. I'm thinking that my own comic book buying and collecting habits really also need to be tidied up because I'm getting to too many situations where either A, I have to commit to putting a whole list of books on the on the sub list for the store as opposed to like, I don't know, maybe the four or five, I don't know, eight titles that I have pulled at most um, and then, and then make it, it makes it easier for me to kind of like, I only have one thing in one place to sort of more or less have to keep track of as opposed to like, oh, right. I'm actually, you know, three issues into Island and I still haven't started reading it. Thank God they stand out enough that I don't have to actually, it's very easy to find them in the pile as opposed to. Um, like Nameless, the latest issue of Nameless, which I read and really loved. And it's very much, thank God, it's sort of that Morrison switcheroo type issue. Um, I don't, I don't know. Did you read it? Have you read it? I uh, no, I am, I am so far behind the Nameless. I couldn't even tell you what issue they're on. Uh, I, I it's issue five. So okay. yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I genuinely had no idea. So it's one of those things where it's like. Thank goodness I was like, okay, I think that the story is here, but it's that classic like sort of Morrison like, oh, here's the issue where we left it on a cliffhanger. Now we're starting off on a completely di different tangent that, of course, as the issue goes on, is actually just tied to the to the first tangent. Kind exactly. Of. It's not really a different tangent. So yeah. wait, I, I have to ask, are you saying you're giving up floppies in favor of collections or in favor of digital? 
I think digital. I don't think that I'm much of a fan for the trade waiting. Uh, uh, but I don't. So it's, it's literally a format change, not, for example, a schedule change. I because think, I, I think really so. enjoy reading things in collection. Right. Well, which is the other thing is, is part of me is like, I do too. And so while reading the fade out, part of me is like, is part of the reason that I'm enjoying this, the fact that I can read three issues in a row. Um, and I don't, I don't really know. I, I kind of feel that for me, what also helped was being able to read two issues one night and yeah, come and pick it up the next night. But for example, walking dead, which I'm more or less enjoying, um, (laughs) I think that's the strongest endorsement of Walking Dead I've heard from you in the longest time. <laughs> yes, it's true. I've actually been enjoying the, these last sets of issues a lot. I'm more or less enjoying. No, well, because I went. How do I put it? Um, that no, was, you went through periods where you that was not the case. Well, the, true. That's that's it. A, but also B. I think part of it is 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 uh, the recent set of issues revolve around a certain number of characters, a, a kind of cataclysmic event happen, and people in the letters pages are like, oh my god, I can't believe you did this to blank. And I'm like, oh, blank was like a reoccurring character? Like, I'm just not, I'm not, I've been tuned out enough that I'm not tracking who everyone is in Kirkman's very large cast. And again, part of me is like, uh, you're right. If I was following it in trade, I would be able to do that more, and and I find that very very tempting. Um, but part of me also, even when I'm reading it in what is absolutely a half-assed way on my part, I'm still sort of enjoying it. You know, I'm I, I'm still enjoying that monthly thing, even though I'm aware that I'm not paying enough attention that a really responsible reader would be bringing to the experience. Um, and part of me feels like, again, kind of like digital maybe will allow me to do that. You know, like, um, I'm very grateful for the fact that I'm able to sort of sit down and open up the good reader folder that has all the Jason Shiga demon PDFs in it. And if I start reading an issue and I'm kind of like, wait, I'm a little hazy, easy, easy, you know, there's you, at least in the printed copies, there's a recap page, but I'm sort of like, I'm what, what, what happened the last issue? And I can jump back, read it. And you know what I mean? As opposed to actually waiting two years for it to get collected and start coming out. So mm. I, I don't know. I, there is part of me that's kind of like, I'm old. Let's face it. Comic books are old. Like, you know, some of these superhero universes, like as I guess Marvel's in particular, has been around long enough that part of me is like, yeah, you guys should reboot it because it's clear that your people can't even keep track necessarily of what's going on, you know, or where it's supposed to be or editorial doesn't care, you know. And like you said, they're still selling a certain degree of copies, although – have you heard stories? I, I feel like the anecdotal evidence is piling up is that, that that people were very excited by Secret Wars, but that sales have been – sale through at the retailer level has been dropping. Um, what I've heard anecdotally is that the first issue sold great mm-hmm. and then basically it tanked around the third issue of all the spinoffs. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, the, uh, but again, that's, that's sell through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Exactly. That that is also. I think there was some place where maybe it was. I feel like it was more than one place. But like for example, I know that you know over at Bleeding Cool, he does uh, a you know retailer's bestseller list with comments from various stores. And it seemed like one thing that was coming up a lot there. And also I think that I feel like I've seen mentioned in say the com uh, comment section of the comics beat is, is that there is that the sell through seems to be decreasing with secret wars. Yeah. That, and retailers are saying the same on Twitter as well. Okay. Right. So I, I feel that this is, you know, I feel a, it's a thing. I don't, yeah. I don't think you're making it up. It okay. Way. Okay. Let's put it that way. So, uh, but, but what I'm super interested about your, your farewells floppies is that for you, it's not, uh, I'm getting off this monthly train, mm-hmm. but literally, uh, these damn pieces of paper are difficult to organize. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because for me, when I think about like, I'm going to get off this monthly, I, like I do think about, I'm going to get off this monthly train. Mm-hmm. You know, there's books where I, even if I'm buying singles, for example, I'll save them up and read them in a batch. Yes. Uh, And I like, uh, I I probably never 100% make the jump to digital in Mm -hmm. large part because I like reading the physical copies more. Mm. Like I I just do. I would rather read a physical comic than read a digital comic, given the Mm -hmm. choice. Um, But... There are times where I'm just like, oh god, you know, I've it's been months since I've had a chance to read Ninjak, you know, and then reading them in a badge makes me think maybe I should just read the traits, right? right. You know, yeah. Well, and maybe if I was more organized, I mean, part of the thing that also is hilarious is uh, I continue to buy the floppies. I have significantly toned down the amount of trade paperbacks that I've bought over the last two years in part because I'm like, uh, there's, there's a lot of space that I have relegated to long boxes and not a lot of room that I have relegated to bookshelves. So it's like whenever I'm, I'm pretty much at the point where I need to go through because, because I've bought some more manga volumes recently where it's like, I need to go through and trim down the, the amount of, of trade graphic novels that I have on my, on the one bookshelf that I have uh, here in the living room. No, I guess 1.5. Cause I've got, I've got some shelves over my desk that also hold some graphic novels now. But that's, but like, that's fine, right? Is that not okay? It, it is okay, but it's also, but I, I've purchased a few more books recently and it's like the shelf is starting to get crowded and I'm trying to do a very Graham McMillan thing of like, okay, it's all got to fit on the shelf. And if it doesn't, the rest has got to go, you know? So consequently, yeah, hey, the rest has got to go. And all that means is I, I literally stick it in a closet for two years and then I'm like, oh God, I've got to take all these books. To <laughs> Which is literally what happened just before you got to Portland, by the way. Oh yeah. Like literally, right. I, I was like, there's far too many fuck books. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I should, I should have done this a long time ago. Right. Well, so I, I do find that I, for me, the, the thing that makes me leery is A, I, I appreciate supporting my comic book shop that even when I am, even at the discount that I am buying things at, the comic book shop still sees, you know, not, not the full 100% profit, you know, or what of its profit from a regular customer, but it still sees a profit. And also it, it's easier for me to um, pick things up on the shelf, 
browse it, be like, oh, this is interesting. You know, I feel like I'm throwing a lot of uh, money at new books and things that, uh, which is great. But unfortunately, my follow through is bad. Like I picked up the first issue of the fiction from Boom, enjoyed it, picked up issues two and three, and I have not, I, they're still sitting there in that pile. And I know that if they're in that pile by, say, two weeks from now, that I'm going to be uh, less likely to buy the next issue of the fiction because I haven't read the other two. And also that idea that I'll never get around to reading them because they're just well, going to be buried under other stuff that I've bought. Why aren't, why aren't you reading the books that you buy? Like, wh- why is it easier to read the digital books than it is the, the print books? Or is it not that it's easier to read the digital books, but you just don't feel as guilty because they're not literally physically there in front of you? I, I say it's a little of A and it's a little of, of B. Uh, as I think I, I mentioned during, I, I don't know if it was a Q&A thing or just us talking, I do actually log all the books that I purchase digitally. Uh, and I have seen the, your list of books. You showed it to me when you were up here. Uh, right. So uh, – and I find that that actually is a great – I started doing that in part because there was too much stuff that I was buying and then not reading and it was just kind of sitting there because it's but easier to hide. Couldn't you do that, couldn't you do that for print? Well, and that's what I'm, that is actually what I'm literally going to start doing. That over the course of the next three months, I'm going to log all the stuff that I buy and, you know, check it off when I actually read it and get a sense of what I'm buying and what I'm actually reading and see if there's some sort of link. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but honestly, for me, um, you know, I don't have to keep the, Having stuff digitally, the most that I have to keep organized is what service I might have bought a book on, you know? Um, and the majority of the time that's comiXology, but even the, the more stuff that I have where the organization process is mine, like for example, um, uh, if I'm reading, say, public domain comics on a reader or even the PDFs on Goodreader, uh, there's a lot of those PDFs I don't necessarily get to because in some cases I can't remember what app they're in or whatever. You know, though in other words, the problem is definitely me and my organizational habits. But part of me is thinking rather than get more organized, part of me is like or just make a switch to it's like it's going to be on my iPad and it's going to be in one of three uh, apps and I can download it from, you know, either Comixology if I've already purchased it but I haven't downloaded it to my device or the flip side is as I can connect to uh, with Goodreader connect to the Dropbox folder where I've got the PDF saved and download them there and then and be good to go you know um, and I think that works for me better than like okay I've got to go back into the storage room in the back dig through the long boxes that I have stacked up to find the books that I um, am behind on, but want to catch up on, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's a very different process as, uh, people don't know, but when I returned the comic books to the justice league of America's, uh, by Englehart to Graham, I gave him a comic storage box, uh, that I've been buying from comics experience. Um, it's a nice little, just sort of pl- black plastic storage box that holds, anywhere from about uh, eight to 12 issues of a comic in there at a go. 
I was originally using those as an organization process for my floppies. Um, and then it just started to spiral out of control. Like I had a, you know, it was like, okay, the stuff in here is the stuff that I need to read. New purchases go in there. Then I can sort them and organize them. And then when I've read them, they can go into the back, into the whole morass of long boxes. This is a ridiculous topic to be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think lots of other people are going to be going through similar things. I'm just, uh, I, I, my surprise is more that not that you're like, I think I'm done with floppies th- as I'm going to start reading digital single issues and right. not I'm going to go to trades. Right. Uh, and it's probably because I think digital single issues really annoying. <laughs> what, okay, but why? Why? I mean, why do you think that that's – why is that the case for you? Because it, it, I don't uh, seem to be annoyed by it. It's not always the case. But the reason I got time runs out, out of the library mm-hmm. was I could not read that on Unlimited. Mm. Because it crosses between titles, and I literally had no idea which one to read next. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I, I gotta mean, admit that was like, a problem when I read Hickman. But, stuff. but like, even if you're reading the the, the physical comics, mm-hmm. you could stack them in a pile where you like the one that story that comes next is the story that comes next, as opposed to I'm reading something in Marvel Unlimited, and it's a crossover. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so I guess that continues as, okay, Amazing Spider-Man. Go search for Amazing Spider-Man. Find that issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Read that issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, oh, it continues on Avengers? Okay, go search for Avengers. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I find that very frustrating. Sure. Well, but that seems to me like an argument. So you're arguing for the trade where the idea is it's all in an issue because when you buy floppies, unless you're super aware of what the next issue is, there's a good chance that you're not going to have – I mean for myself – Sure, but but I, I in that case, for example, I'm arguing for the you would have the next issue and you would have put it in your pile underneath the comic you've just finished. It provided that you knew that it was happening, you know. Like I see your point. If you're if you're super paying attention, one of the things that I appreciated, although it was a pain in the ass to look at, uh, to to jump between two so many titles when I was reading, say, the Infinity Event on Marvel Unlimited, at least all those issues were there. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't yeah. like a case of – because for myself, even if I – But are you not going to have the same problem if you're buying everything through Comixology? Uh, possibly, although I feel like it depends. I mean for one thing, a lot of the stuff that I'm reading is not necessarily – I was going to say. Like yeah. that, that's a particular crossover issue. Like it's not like you're going to yeah. be like, I finished this issue of Popats. Right. Oh, shit. It continues in Love and Rockets? I mean <laughs> – that would be great. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, no, I, I find, I find that, uh, I don't know. Again, I just, I, I think that there is, there's an actual uh, enjoyment that people have from reading a physical copy yeah, of a comic which book. Is, which is very much true for me. Yeah. Like, like, I like reading comic books in bed before I fall asleep. It's not the same to read it on the Kindle. Mm. Yeah. Whereas for me, I'm like, uh, it kind of is on the iPad, you know, it, it's like, so it, it's, it really is that sort of experience of like, yeah, I, I, maybe if I was a lot more organized in my habits, but it is one of those things of Marvel Unlimited allows me to be relatively slothful in terms of what I'm following because of the idea that I can, you know, in theory, if I'm willing to track it down across 
the device. I can, I can read everything provided that it's been, you know, enough time has passed that it shows up on the service. Or in the case of something like Comixology, I can have that feeling of, uh, you know, oh shit, I'm reading issue seven. It's been a month since issue six. You know, oh, I can just, you know, it's yeah, going to be yeah, there I can in just my grab smart it. list. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but, but it, it will, it would, it would, re, it would certainly require some challenges. You know, part of me is very much like, I'm thinking like, if I do do that, that's, that would have to be a stronger incentive for me to try and get on, um, complice, you know, to, to be able to look at the stuff that's, that's coming out from image because I'm not actually going into the store as much or spending as much money or paying as much attention, you but, know, but that's I guess, can't you just use the time that you would have spent at the store to literally just browse CBR to, to browse comic book resources, the website. Oh no, yeah. I would not do that. No, I, <laughs> I am sorry. No, absolutely not. I have to say comic book resources is, the majority of the comic book news sites, or again, even even the image website. Well, see, this is what I'm saying. The image website, sure. Then, and especially if there is like a, a browser thing. I guess the other thing of what I'm saying is, Graham, is is that there's part of me that's like, uh, there's some, but there are some budgetary things of like, I'm going to if I start buying all my stuff, I will be paying full price for them again. You know, because I'm buying them digitally, unless I'm waiting a, a month for. Is DC still dropping the prices on its book after books after a two month, months. or is that two months? Two months, okay. Um, which I know that some people definitely prefer, but yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I the Ghost Riders number four, which I bought uh, yesterday, one of the first things that I did was I came home and I input the code and I downloaded it onto my iPad and I read it there. You know, people talk about like how they're happy to give the digital comp comic copies away, you know, uh, like Chad Nevitt has been very generous with his download codes for some of his Marvel books. I'm pretty much the opposite. I want the code. I would gladly mail them the physical copy if they wanted it, you know? So why don't you just buy digitally? Is it just that you want the discount? Uh, I'm starting to think that, yeah, a good chunk of, well, it's the discount and it's the, it's the actually giving money to my comic book store as opposed to giving money to comiXology, you know? But so what about the comic book stores that actually have their own comiXology storefront? Well, that, that is true. Comics experience does not, but I know that Mission Comics and Art, uh, does, but they don't, I don't know if they get money. I don't know if they're still being paid for those any, oh no, maybe they are. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting confused with when you buy a physical copy and you tell Marvel where you got it from and then, Comics, you know, your comic book store gets a kickback. You're right. I think I think there is something where the I should really talk to some of the retailers and get a sense of how much money they see from that. If it's actually equitable with what they receive from their direct from from selling a physical well, copy, I would I would love to get your your follow up on that. Okay, well that that's maybe. something that we should talk about in the next. I was going to say the next episode, but that's not true. That's a Baxter building. The yes. episode after that. Yes, exactly. Okay, that will be that will be a thing that I will follow up on. What a weird episode! I have to say, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about. I I don't know. I figured that I would spend a lot of time talking about, say, Batman forty four. Say, <laughs> but no, we talked we talked about how you read comics and uh, sexual harassment. And, and by the way, while we were talking, Scott Alley has apologized. 
Oh, has he? What do, yeah. do you want to read the statement for the full late breaking news sure. aspect of it? The late breaking news, which by the time this episode is released, will have been available for days. Yes, exactly. Uh, hi on. Let me load it up. I'm deeply sorry about my behavior at San Diego Comic-Con 2015, and I apologize to everyone I've heard. I'm completely embarrassed by my actions and how my behavior reflects on Dark Horse Comics, my friends, and family. My personal approach and decisions for managing stress were bad. Dark Horse and I have taken the matter very seriously, and since this incident, we have taken steps to correct and avoid any behavior like this in the future. Although apologies can't undo what has happened, I've tried to apologize to everyone impacted by my behavior. To my family, friends, co-workers, and to the industry, please know that I am truly, truly sorry. Huh. Well, Graham, <laughs> at the yeah. risk of dragging us back into the quagmire, what do you think of that statement? Or, alternately, if you don't feel like giving a comment, I'm more than happy to talk about how I feel about that statement. Uh, I feel that statement is uh, unsatisfying, shall we say? In yeah. Part, like, I feel really bad about what happened this year when the mm-hmm. article is quite clearly like, he's been doing this for a long time, you guys. Yeah. Well, also, I find that there is a concept, again, uh, talking about that sliding scale of, you know, the level of apology and the heartfeltness that one gets. One of the things that I appreciated with, say, Chris Sims' apology was that he very explicitly apologized to Valerie D'Orazio. I mean, admittedly, she was the one making the claims, but the acknowledgement of it uh, to her at least felt like that was a genuine apology. To me, having an apology where, I mean, because I think my understanding is, is that, didn't you say it was Joe Harris that actually? Yeah. So Joe Harris specifically says, I was harassed by Scott Alley in this way that was very wrong and uncomfortable and disturbing, and I don't know what to do about it. Um, and well, before yeah. you go any further, I should add this. The, the report on CBR says that Scott Alley said in a later email that he apologized to Harris by email. And that he's seeking outside help for substance abuse. Oh, okay. And Harris, con- Harris confirmed that he received an email from Ali on September 14th. Okay. That is hugely helpful, I think, for me. I'm like, oh, okay. The fact that there was an actual apology uh, tendered. I'm a little worried that when it's a statement and it's like, it, I'm like, wow, he apologizes to his family a lot, which I guess is good. But part of me is also kind of like, you know... If if there's a specific person with a claims, I think it does help to to actually apologize to that person. You know, like you said, it seems very limited in terms of the scope of its apology. Maybe that's why there was a further email or at least a clar- clarifying email sent to CBR, I guess, who asked some follow up questions. But yeah, that's um, yeah, you know, I'm like. Uh... We'll see As they what say, else happens. Developing mm-hmm. dot dot dot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that is that is not certainly the the sort of um, ultimately confidence inspiring apology that I I would like. It felt it it definitely felt like a very um, uh, politically sculpted statement in a way that, um, that I that that I tend to find unsatisfying. I suppose, you know. Very interesting. Well, uh, listeners, you certainly have a lot of things that um, you can react to in this episode, and uh, we totally invite you to do so. Um, in the comments yes. on weightwadpodcasts.com. Yeah, the show notes will be coming up at that. That is sort of our preferred uh, method to, to shake these things out. But, Graham, uh, should we move into the closing comments where in which you – Let's, let's move everyone. into the closing comments where 
there's wayrodpodcasts.com where you will find this episode, lots of other episodes, episodes of Baxter Building, and also show notes and somewhere to comment. Hopefully you'll enjoy that. If you hate websites, if you just hate them, Mm. And you'd rather hear this podcast elsewhere. You can hear us on iTunes and Stitcher. Mm -hmm. If you hate, hate, hate websites, but you really want to talk to us, uh, we're at Wait What Podcast on Twitter. Jeff is also on Twitter alone. He's at LazyBastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I I am at Graham M, at Mm G-R-A-E-M-E-M. We're both on Twitter alone. We're both on Twitter as at WaitWad Podcast. We're also on Tumblr as waitwadpods.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. Find us in all of those places and tell us how wonderful we are. <laughs> yes. Also, I, I really, I, I have not thanked everyone. Would you like me to thank everyone now or Jeff, do you want to just add in the thing that I sent you earlier on today? I think, I think I will add that in. I think. I think okay. that's sensible. Uh, everyone who is on that list, which for all I know may already have played at the start of this episode, or Jeff just puts it in midway through just to be like producer wizardy, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> we are a Patreon supported podcast, you see. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast is where you'll find details about that. Everyone who has uh, supported us and has offered money, thank you very, very, very much. You yeah. make this. Uh, you make us feel a little bit more loved, first of all, but uh, <laughs> make things like factor building and various other things we do possible. So thank yes. you very much. That is it for us for this episode. As Graham mentioned, we will be back next week with a Baxter building. Uh, do you have is it any a, issues? Is it actually next week? I, I want to say that it is, but let us I'm let going us to check. It is. It's next week. Uh, we will be back next week with the Baxter Building. Uh, we are going to be doing issue... 82 through 87 and annual number 6. Does that sound right there to you? Go. Yes. Someone has been paying attention. Yes. I wrote, wrote it down on a note. Write a sticky I, that note. That note worked. Damn it. Uh, yeah. We're going to be doing that and we're heading towards the end of the Lee and Kirby issues. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. That's that's going to be kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we had the Creative Summit last week, as as those of you who listen to the show know. And one of the things we talked about, and we'll we'll let you you guys in on this, uh, is we were thinking about splitting Baxter Building off into... Keeping it on the, the Wait What side and the Wait What RSS, but also splitting it off into its own thing for people who only listen to Baxter Building to listen to. Yeah. Uh, but when we do that, we're also thinking of trying to do more issues per episode, mm-hmm. because otherwise we'd be doing Baxter building for four years, which has <laughs> a certain amount of, oh, four to it. But also, I don't think Jeff and I want to do this for four years. And if you yeah. think that sounds terrible, you don't want us to spend that long on like the, the Roy Thomas issues either. Yes. You- don't. Yeah. Well, although, God help you, you keep saying that. I really, I, I will be fascinated, like, to see what actually ends up happening once we finish Lee and Kirby. Because on the one hand, I, we're, I, we're going to, we're probably going to keep the same pace for the first post Kirby issues. Mm-hmm. But then it honestly does turn into, uh, like, by the time Marv Wolfman's writing. Yes. We, like, we'll, we'll be getting through more quicker. Because it becomes a very different book. And it yeah. becomes a very, uh, to be honest, less interesting book. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, but then, you know, then when you get to Burn, we'll probably slow down again. Then when you get to Simonson, we'll probably slow down again. Mm-hmm. God damn it, when Engelhardt's writing, you know that we're going to be spending far too much time on those issues. Right, 
Right, exactly. But, but again, firstly, who wants to spend that much time on Tom DeFalco's issues? Well, see, well, and he, that's what I'm thinking. Otherwise, well, see, and this is where I think <laughs> right? the I think the the there's going to be for people who follow us on Baxter Building. There's a lot of talk of the tug of war between Lee and Kirby on those issues. I think naturally, one way or the other, that com- that dynamic once is once it's once Lee once Kirby's gone, and then once Lee leaves. You never see that replicated again. It then gets transferred into the tug of war between Graham and I, between what issues we're trying to speed through and what issues one of us wants to talk about in uh, ridiculous detail. Mm. Uh, it's, it's going to be a very, yeah, just wait. It's the balance of power will shift from the battle between Lee and Kirby to the battle between Jeff and I. Yeah. So. Does this mean one of us is going to leave and join another podcast for a few years? <laughs> For a lesser podcast, it's very possible. All I'm saying is, if I show up in House Astonished, just don't be too surprised. Yeah, ouch that that would be rough. I gotta say, I would I would definitely feel that loss. Everyone would actually feel that loss. But then when Graham comes back to only talk about dinosaurs and aliens uh, a few years later, I think that's also going to be. It'll just be hard for us. Hard times. Hard times ahead, people. And yet, if you're into that kind of thing. Deeply enjoyable, so do stick around. I, I also love that I managed to cast myself as Kirby in this relationship, and you didn't bat an eyelid. Nah, I'm like, nah, uh, you know, I, I really, part of me is like, yeah, it's fair, you know. So anyway, everyone, uh, thank you so much for listening. Please come back again. Uh, Graham, do you wish to sing us out? Beautiful. And a long pause sold it too.